Well, hello, friends. Before we start, Titus O'Reilly here. And uh, if you haven't already heard, we have a membership program, Bazaar Plus, where if you want even more from Sports Bazaar, you can get it. As a member, you'll get a weekly bonus podcast of Mick and I talking absolute nonsense. It's a lot of fun. You get access to all the past bonus episodes too. So there are plenty there. So if you've missed out on them and you want to hear them, becoming a member means you get access to all of that. You get behind the scenes access. We've got a fortnightly newsletter that goes out to members that I write every fortnight with all sorts of information in it. You get access to the members only chat room where we have lots of fun on there, lots of behind the scenes stuff. You can vote on future episodes and you get early access to any live shows that myself is doing or Sports Bazaar live podcasts that are coming up this year. So tons of reasons. We'd love to have you as a member. Bazaar Plus and the link is in the show notes. It's Sports Bazaar. Some of these stories you would say, that cannot be true. I'm fine to us. (laughs) The hunt for the weirdest. This is madness. It's a masterclass in how not to do things. The most airbrained scheme I've ever heard. Strangest. Oh, wow, you can't make this up. Things are only going to get more bonkers. (laughs) Most unbelievable. Most genius thing I've ever heard. You say evil, I say brilliant. Stories to ever occur. An unparalleled array of deadbeats. (laughs) A mecca for colourful characters. Characters. In the world of sport. I had a taste for testicle soup. Can I just stop you for a second? Don't act like you've never done this. Sports Bazaar. Opened his mouth and a sparrow flew out. <laughs> Slept face down with a compass to make sure that his head was pointing north. <laughs> he hit so many sixes into the members that they retreat into the bar. I better lie down after that. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. It's 10 cent beer night at the ballpark. It's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome to the latest episode of Sports Bazaar with me, Mick Malloy. And as usual, doing the heavy lifting, it's Titus O'Reilly. Hello, Titus. How oh, are you? I'm very well, Mick. That's very the way. Well. Good to see you. Uh, what are you up to? What's happening today? <laughs> what are we doing? I'm completely in the dark, as usual. One sport I don't think we've done before is the wonderful sport of ice hockey. Oh, which is amazing we haven't done it, given how bonkers it how... is. What fertile ground, what a rich vein yeah. it is for bizarre sports stories. Did you see the story last week? Those two blokes fought for one minute. Yeah. One minute on the ice with uh, no helmets. That was one of off. the guys, in, he's a New York Rangers rookie. It's like his second game and he's been <laughs> in two fights in his first two games. I say this, best fights in sport, yeah, uh, baseball and ice hockey. Oh, yeah. Where they clear the... Dugouts, yeah, oh, it's odd. That is a biggest pile on. The worst one usually are NBA because they do all that hold me back, hold me back stuff. There's a lot where, of that yeah, going they on. do a lot, a lot of, of slappy it. stuff. Although then you get malice in the palace when they went into the stand. <laughs> so yeah, they, <laughs> it's not always. We uh, we did a live show recently, yes, and a lot of people came up to me and said, "What are you doing, malice in the palace?" Well, our members and you know to our beloved members, and sure. if anyone here's not a member, you can get it. We we did a vote last year on was yeah. it malice in the palace or Keith Miller, and I think Keith Miller won by like one vote. One vote. Well, there's so a people lot are of... saying to me, "Yeah, so we'll have to do it." Do I have to do everything? <laughs> can you just? Pitching. Now, Mick, have you, uh, what have we got? So have, you seen the, yeah, have you seen the movie Slapshot? I love Slapshot. The ice hockey movie from 1977. I say this, and it can be one for our members as well. Tell us your favourite sporting film. Yeah. But I put Slapshot up there yeah. as one of the greats. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. It, movie. it is. It's a ripper. The Hanson Brothers, I mean, yeah, they the, are as good as it gets. We'll get into a bit of it because today we're going to be talking about 
the real life slap shot that the movie is based, based on. on. One of my favorite bits in the movie, because it's a comedy sports movie for people yes. that haven't seen it, is the announcer announces one of the players and says, He's a college graduate and an American citizen, which was very rare for ice hockey <laughs> players in the, you know, they're all Canadian or, you yeah, know. So yeah, yeah. this movie, it was a screenplay by a woman named Nancy Dowd and she based it on the fact that her brother Ned was playing minor league hockey in the US. Yeah. And he would ring her and tell her the stories of stuff that was happening on his team. And she's just and, writing them and all And she's down. writing and she's But she's going, this is absolutely bonkers because this is at the time, that this is the lower minor leagues. Yes. The fighting and violence. A little off-Broadway. Yeah, a little off-Broadway. The fighting and violence is like no other sport. Like it, it makes is. the English hooliganism seem low level. Like this was like every game was almost a malice in the palace where fans and players fought. Can I tell you what I just know about ice hockey and because I went to Vancouver yeah. for the Winter Olympics, uh, famously sent home. <laughs> that, that's, that's another story. Um, but I went out to film something at an ice hockey rink and I was filming with the kids and I was playing goalie and the kids are running rings around me and all this stuff. Yeah. And as I was leaving, the guy goes, oh, you might want to hang around for this one. And it's, it's like under 13s or under 14s. The scouts turn up not to watch them skate it's to watch them fight. Punch on. <laughs> so imagine this scenario where there's a coach talking to the kids yeah. and the parents are standing around listening and the coach is saying, that guy doesn't walk off the ice. This guy, <laughs> you, take your gloves off and smash him right in the – with the parents going, of course. <laughs> and you go, I've never seen this before. Yeah, it's not in, it's in, not in the opposite. In my life, but this was an accepted part of yeah. the induction of boys, in, on this case, to playing ice hockey. And the 70s was where in minor leagues it was at another level. And so you've got Ned Dowd's playing for the Johnston Jets, right? So yep. Johnston, it's a minor league hockey club, and we'll get into a bit of them. They're playing the North American Hockey League. And the amazing thing about it is she gets a call, he starts telling their stories, and so she says, I'm going to come and embed myself with the team yes. and see if I can come up with a script. <laughs> and she comes up with a script for what becomes Slapshot and she goes back to Hollywood and she starts sending it around to film studios. And everyone says they love it but it's so far-fetched that they don't <laughs> want to make it. Yeah, like they right. go, you need to tone it down. It's it's yeah. too unbelievable. We want it more Calm based down. in real life. And she's like, no, I went and this is all based on real life. People were interested, but she was trying. The problem was convincing it. So Al Pacino was attached. Okay, he'd just finished filming The Godfather. Yes. had just come out, and this he was looking at this for his next project. Right. The director found out he couldn't skate, so he said no. He said no to Pacino. So they decided they were going to do something, and they go and meet with Universal, and Universal say, "Oh, we're interested, but it's too weird." So she says, "I'll tell you what. I'll get my brother who plays for this team." the Johnston Jets, yes. I'll get him to come and tell you real stories that this is all based on. Yes. So he comes and meets with the head of Universal, Paul Newman, who, who eventually, in, plays the eventually plays the main character who came in, and George Hill who directed Butch Cassidy and the Sundance King and The Sting. He'd just come off The Sting. Yeah. So these are huge names. Ned walks in, starts telling them all the stories of his playing days, and they all go, Oh, this script's more a documentary then. 
<laughs> a little slice of life. So Paul Newman travels to Johnstown to actually go scout it for a location. And so he goes to a Jets game and with 18 seconds left that night, they were playing the Broome County Dusters. <laughs> Their goal he had led in the eighth goal of the night, yes. right? And a Johnstown fan shouted something at him, like of how bad he was playing. And the goalie skated over, broke his stick against the glass. This is with Paul Newman in the audience. The goalie <laughs> climbs into the crowd and starts fighting the fans. Of course he does. And the teammates all join them and they start throwing their sticks into the at the crowd. This is the the Broomtown Dusters. Yeah, yeah. It's about to all be calmed down. The players yeah. are starting to come out of the thing. When some Johnstown fans knock over the bit of the plexiglass that surrounds an ice hockey oh, rink, oh dear, and that smashed one of the Dusters players on the head. So the guy, it fell on the head. The plexiglass turned around, and started beating up one of the kicked fans. Off again. That it, it kicked off again, and so Newman's like, who's not believed the story is real. This is his first experience of Welcome it. Welcome to ice hockey. After the game, he grabs a beer with a local reporter, huh. and he says. That was the greatest thing ever. We found we were going to film it. We're going to film Slapshot right here. This is the best. So the story we're going to talk about is the real version of Slapshot, what it's based on. Sure. Because it is, even if you haven't seen the movie, this is just a crazy story. So the Johnstown Jets, they're a professional ice hockey team in Pennsylvania. Yep. So this is sort of in that northeast corner of America. Very working class, gritty. Gritty, coal mines, yeah. all industrial stuff, you know, and in the 70s Hard it's drinking. Hard drinking, Blokey. hard fighting. Yeah. They had been in the North American Hockey League since 1973. Before that they were in other leagues. They'd won playoffs 52, 53, 60, 61, 62, and then it had stopped. And so by the 70s they had not won in a long time. Yeah. And they're really starting to try and work out how to mm. get good. So they decide that they are going to hire these three brothers they've heard of that are up and coming young yeah. guys. And now these guys are in the movie as the handsome brothers are based on Unbelievable. Them. But these are the real life handsome brothers called the Carlson brothers and they really existed and they wore thick coat bottle <laughs> glasses and had long blonde hair and they look exactly like Garth from Wayne's World. <laughs> All three of them, right? They're all they're three brothers. They're all yeah. separated the by film, one like year. They're like the nerdy Ramones. Yeah, exactly. That's what, and that's what they look. They look yeah. like in the film the same yeah. as they do in real life. So these are the real life ones, the Carlson brothers. <laughs> like Garth from Wayne. They do. Wayne. They don't. They you know. They, yeah, they do. But they're big and muscly. Like yeah. they're all six foot three. They're all born 53, 54, 55. There's three brothers, the Carlson brothers: Jeff Carlson, Jack Carlson, and Steve Carlson. They're all born in Virginia, Minnesota. They grew up in this tiny town. And it's surrounded this area by a lot of hockey, yeah. right? So their father worked in the mining industry. He's a really tough guy. Their mother worked three jobs. And they were like hockey became a big thing for them. And they decided to play junior hockey for the Minneapolis Junior Bruins. And that was a junior league where it's sort of up and coming yeah. things. And had a few teams from Thunder Bay, which is in Ontario. So that's near that Canada border, sure. which is a big thing. Now, Steve was a finesse player. He was more just scoring goals than that. But Jack and Jeff fought all the time. They yes. were big fighters. They're all 6'3", huge yeah. guys, right? And they all played on the same. In ice hockey, you have a line. So you have two defenders and then you have a wing, centre right. and wing. And you play in shifts. You go off and on all the time. So they would play on the same line. So they would play centre and two wings and they would play that 
all the time. So always on the ice together. Yeah. They wore numbers that were all constant, like there was 17, 18, 19, I don't know the numbers, right? So they look the same, they do all that sort of stuff. Their preferred method of attack was to knock down all the defenders and then score a goal. <laughs> so they would just go and whack people. Yes. And do all that sort of stuff. Now, this was a developmental one. This league they were in, they end up after the back of that, they missed out on college. They don't really have any of the high school element right. for college and stuff. And so they instead go to the Jets in Pennsylvania, this steel mill town, to join out and they take them by absolute storm, right? So a guy called Fred Yost, he was the sports editor of the Johnston Tribunal Democrat, the paper, he was, and he was sent to the airport to pick up these three brothers, the Carlson brothers, for training camp. And he'd never seen them long before the internet and all that sort of stuff. Yep. No mobile phones. He was confident that you'd, you'd recognise three hockey players, right? <laughs> so he goes down there and no one at the airport looks like, the plane arrives, no one really looks like a hockey player. Yeah, okay. And he's watching these three guys with long hair and glasses pummel a vending machine that won't kick out their car <laughs> or whatever. And he's thinking they're rock band, right? Okay. So he's like, yeah. they look like Trouble long is. hair. Yeah. But everyone started leaving and they were the only three people still in the airport. So he went up and said, are you the Carlson brothers? And they said, we are. And he just thought, oh, my God, what are we doing here? These? What have we done? What have we done? They're all huge. And so during uh, their first time on the ice at training camp playing, Steve Carlson holds up two fingers to signal a play. Now, the thing is, you don't do that in ice hockey. No one signals right. plays and stuff, especially back then. So the rest of the Jets looking at these three weirdos going, what the hell are you doing? And the goalie said, you don't do that in hockey. The goalie was Ron Dockin. And some of the players start to laugh. They're like, these guys don't know how to play hockey. This yeah. is ridiculous. And one of the guys laughing was the Jets' toughest enforcer on the ice. Yes. So Jeff Carlson walks over and, in the words of Dockin, skate over and beat the tar out of him. So he beats up their toughest teammate wow. on the first shift. Bang. You laugh at us, we're going to build you. And everyone's like, who are these three guys? That's fantastic. Right? Before the first game they ever played, a defenceman for the Jets, Pat Westrom, he walks into the locker room and he sees the Carlson brothers all sitting together, which they always did because they just do everything <laughs> yeah. together, and they've got golf gloves on their hands, right? <laughs> and he says, what the hell are you guys doing? Why have you got golf gloves yeah. on your hand? And they go, oh, it's good. If you get in fights, it cuts their face. And he's going, oh, my God. So what they would do is they'd put on golf gloves. Yes. Then they would get a file and rough the outside of the golf of course they did. glove up. Then they would put on the radiator so they would get hard. You know, the leather would dry and get really hard. They've thought this through. They've thought this through. Then they would put them under their hockey gloves and then they would make sure they got in the game early for a fight so that the sweat didn't sort of soften <laughs> the gloves. Anyway, I read up on this and apparently this is very common practice at the time. So it wasn't like they were the only ones doing it. It wasn't their invention. This was just this was quite, perfect preparation. If you were an enforcer, you came up with ways to... An enforcer, for those who don't know, you're literally the designated fighter for the team. Yeah, right? there's a lot so, of hockey where it's like if you have an enforcer and they have an enforcer, yes. if something happens, those two will fight. They're allowed to fight, no third man in, yeah. but they can fight until such time as they hit the ice. Or Yeah, basically. And that's all part of the game. It's ways settling disputes without having to get the refs involved, but it also <laughs> sends this signal, if you do something to one of our stars, He'll come out yeah. and, you know. So there's guys on the team whose whole job, yeah, is can we barely stay. We need an enforcer. <laughs> <laughs> At Sports Bazaar. 
Westrum, who was the uh, defenseman, he thought this is going to be bonkers, these yeah. guys. So their first game starts. <laughs> yeah, they haven't played a game. Haven't played a game yet. In the first period, he watches them. Westrom says, I watched the Carlsons fly all over the ice and smash opponents into the boards. It was a three-headed attack squad out of mayhem. <laughs> Later in the game, in this first game, all three brothers fought a different opponent at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> they racked up six penalties, scored three of the team's four goals, and Jeff Carlson was ejected. So that's game well, that's one. A busy day. That's welcome, a busy welcome aboard, boys. They just couldn't believe it, right? And it turns out they teammates get to know them. They're great players on ice, right? Like yeah. they they're bringing in the heavy physical thing that the Jets need. Yes. But then Steve Carlson, who's not the enforcer, is quite a good scorer and yeah. scores a lot of goals. So they suddenly have this whole new dynamic to their I, team. I imagine they're gonna be crowd favourites, and the so crowd they, they can yeah. pull a pull a crowd. They're gonna be. You would think with this energy on the ice, yeah. They're ticking a lot of boxes for your ice hockey. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It turns out, though, that they are quite strange, these three brothers. You don't say. So Jeff Carlson had a brick, which he treated as a pet, and had it on a leash. (laughs) Are they amusing themselves? Yeah, because this was when Pet Rocks had been invented. Remember Pet Rocks was a fad in the 70s? What a terrible state. So they decided it was a lot cheaper just to have a brick. And it's really funny because I was reading an interview with them like recently. Like, you know, they're now in their, what, you know, 60s, late 60s. He said he still has the pet brick. He said, unfortunately, it's sick at the moment. (laughs) You might have to put it down. (laughs) Jack Carlson was once whistled for a penalty. And in ice hockey, if you do something bad, they'll like give you a two-minute penalty, which means you go and sit in the yeah, you sit in the penalty box for two minutes, then you can come back out. So sure. the the team's effectively a man down yeah. for that period. That's how it works. So you often hear about the stats will be goals, assists, and then PIMs, which is penalties in minutes. So like a defenseman might That's end up, factor. you know, they might have ten minutes worth of penalties in a game, you know, but yeah, they kind of meant to get them. Yeah. So Jack Carson once was just for a penalty, and he's put in the penalty box, and the officials then look around, and he's not in the penalty box, <laughs> and they can't find him, and they finally find him. He's sitting three rows up in the stand, sitting next to a little kid. Apparently, the kid yelled down to him, "Hey, Jack, do you want a hot dog?" So Jack went up. <laughs> <laughs> and sat next to the kid and ate a hot dog ate in the middle of the game. Does his minutes still count? Yeah, well, they got they made yeah they said you back you in the, back in the box right on the team bus one night. Everyone's almost asleep. You know they used to do the long team yeah, bus rides. Yeah. Steve Carlson rolled up uh, in a blanket and went to sleep, and his two brothers set him on fire. <laughs> And so That's he woke up with the blanket on fire and so and just they just thought that was hilarious. Everyone saw the funny side. They would always light people's tennis shoes on fire. That was one of their favourite ones. Their coach, Dick Rabage, he said once they were at a motel in Cape Cod with the team and he said to the team manager, we have a block of rooms? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, and we've got the Carlson brothers? He said, yeah. He said, well, I want you to put them at the other end of the motel to me and let me know what the damages are in the morning. <laughs> Oh, this is gold. They become quite well known. And one time they're standing in the lobby of a motel and a kid came in who's about 10 years old yeah. and he walked straight up to Jack Carlson and said, are you Jack Carlson? And Jack says, yes. And the kid takes off his jacket, threw it on the floor and said, I've come to challenge you. <laughs> right? And they're all thinking, what, he wants to fight me? And then the kid produced a roll of quarters and said, we're playing video games. And the only video game at the point was Pong. You know, that oh, old of tennis kind of thing. Those days. So the, uh, one of his teammates said, so Jack Carlson played Pong against this kid for four hours <laughs> while the other Carlson <laughs> stood there cheering. They were all really into it. 
Now, when they got their first paycheck at the Jets, they went down to the local department store and bought remote-controlled cars that run on tracks, you know, like the old... Scalex. Scalex. So they bought like a big set of that. Way to celebrate. Yeah, that's their first first thing. So in their living room, they set up a track and it went down the hall into the bedroom, into the bathroom and then back out again, right? Pubs weren't open every night in this town. because sure. So almost every night the whole team would come over and they would drink beer and race these cars. Fantastic. And then put down 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks in the middle and whoever won would take all the money in, in the middle of the track. So they would do all this sort of stuff, right? And one of their teammates said there's always the fridge was full of beer, had the cars. He never saw food in the house. So he yeah, doesn't right. know how they ate, right? Like it was yeah. like total content. Now the season – is kicking off and they are playing a team called the Mohawk Valley Comets. They're great names, all these. Fantastic. I like this division. It's a January night. There's trouble where Jack Carlson squares up to Mohawk Valley defenseman Gerard Gibbons and before the two could exchange punches, Steve Carlson decides to rush in and cross-checks Gibbons, which is where you hit them with the stick. Yeah. And that sets up this huge brawl, right? The whole because you're not really meant to do that if two off. guys are yeah, gloves are every, so so the whole ice is f- every player fighting, yeah. right? And then an object's thrown from the stand and it hits Jack Carlson in the face. Now some witnesses say it was keys, others say it was ball bearings, nuts and bolts because this is the <laughs> rough league it is, right? Either way, the Carlsons and some of their teammates go over the glass and into the stands <laughs> and they use their sticks and they're fighting with their sticks, hitting the fans, the fans of Mohawk. And the Mohawk Valley coach claims that one of the Carlsons chucked his stick into the crowd like a spear. <laughs> and Asher tries to come and fight one of the Carlsons so one of their teammates fight him. Fifteen policemen arrive at the arena and they haul away Jeff and Jack Carlson in cuffs. What? While the game's on? Yeah, so they're they're like hauled off into See, cuffs. this has escalated from a two-minute sin binge yeah, kind of penalty to jail, to being yeah. handcuffed and There's a lot of the going building. to jail. <laughs> in the middle of a game <laughs> where a couple of Carlson's down. Yeah. The team then comes up with a slogan for the season called Aggressive Hockey is Back in Johnstown. That becomes their slogan. Dave Hansen, who was one of their teammates, he said, when I played for the Jets, I didn't play in one game when there wasn't at least one fight, right, and everyone. This is happening in them. And he said, every visiting team to Johnstown had to be escorted out of the town with police dogs from the fans. So the fans are just as nuts as the brothers. So it's just this. I love it. Two weeks after the brawl where they've been arrested, they're out of jail on bail and it's still been worked through the courts. They face the Broome County Dusters and some of the Dusters players before the game wear fake glasses attached to big noses to mock the oh, cars. No. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's a dick move. Steve Carlson goes up to the, the Johnstown coach and says, Coach, as soon as that puck is dropped, we're pairing up. <laughs> he declared his intentions. Yeah. And that's what they do. The yeah. puck drops. They instantly start fighting the other side. The brawl went for 30 minutes and everyone got, until everyone got tired. The brawl resulted in Jack Carlson was flew over the boards. A duster player ended up on the Johnstown bench where he received about a 1,000 lumps. And one of the people hitting him was the coach. <laughs> uh, the duster's coach accused Jack Carlson of wearing tape on his hands, you know, to think. Yeah, the old boxing guy. And duster's enforcer, Ted McCatskill, he said after the game, 
about Jack Carlson. If I could have, I would have decapitated him. <laughs> that was the post-match interview. <laughs> That's a, I love it, mate. The Jets had been an okay team but struggling a bit. Around this time after that big brawl, mm. something changes. They are a team with a losing record and then suddenly they go on a 22-8 to eight winning streak, 22 wins, 8 losses. Incredible. And in the final it's 30 games. It's a violence games, recovery. Yeah, in the final 30 games of the season, they roar into the playoffs and they clinch fourth spot. Good stuff. And Westrom, one of the defenders, said, everyone was scared of us to be truthful. <laughs> and by the way, I'm laughing at this outrageous violence because it's ice hockey and if it's an accepted part of the game, I can enjoy it. You know what I mean? But it's also, part yeah, of the contract. This so level of don't be offended or take out a contract. What is that the seventies? We, we, we know this is not. We wouldn't be approving violence. Happening. Yeah, it's, this is embedded. It is baked into the game. You're part laughing because you can't believe this happens, right? Because when you think that, today, t- today it's, it's so sanitised. Yeah, you know they tried to stop the fighting. Oh, they tried at, a few at, times, at yeah. and no one came. The fan. They had to reintroduce the yeah. idea that you could officially. In the seventies, it was even more because in this, the fans are fighting as much as the yeah. Like it's, it's a wild night. It's out. a wild night, and also you got to remember this is the lowest level of the minor leagues, right? Also, and ice is... hockey by nature is a working man's. Sport. Oh yeah, it, in... it's not. It's it's not the top end of town. Yeah, no, absolutely. So All they right. go on this run. The Carlsons play a huge role because one, they're physical and intimidate the side. But Steve Carlson's so good, he scores thirty goals and fifty-eight assists in seventy games, which is amazing. Mm. Jack Carlson actually gets called up before the playoffs to play for the St. Paul Fighting Saints. So he actually gets promoted, and so he leaves. So it's just no, yeah, it's just the two other brothers Can't there. Split up the, the brothers, yeah. Now the in the playoffs round one, they beat the Cape Cod Cotters. They beat them 3-1 in the series. The then Codders? They, the Codders. The they, Cape Cod Codders. Lazy, <laughs> I mean, Cape Cod, what do we call ourselves? The Codders. <laughs> Signed off. That puts them against their big rivals, the Syracuse Blazers, who we'll get to more of them in a second. The Blazers, like, always beat the Jets normally. Okay. And Syracuse are 32-5 and five at home. And the Jets haven't won a game at their They're stadium, the Blaze Stadium, since 1971. So it's like oh, five okay. years since they've won there, right? The series goes that the Blazers win games one, four, and five, which are at their home thing, yeah. and the Jets win game two, three, and six, which at their home. So it sets up a decisive seventh game, but it's at yeah. Syracuse. Oh, damn it. But Steve Carlson scores twice in this, and they win 5-4, and it ends a 41-game winless streak for Syracuse. So they beat Syracuse. Those are great scenes. It's great uh, scenes. Yeah. After the game, Syracuse fans go after the three referees and try and kill them and they have to be snuck out by the police. But this is the first time. So they go into the final round against the Broome County Dusters, the ones they had the huge brawl with who wore the noses, and they beat them 4-0 and win the championship. So the the Carsons have led them to this famous victory. There's a huge parade in in downtown um, with high school bands and all this sort of stuff. Yes. The mayor makes all the team honorary citizens of the town, right? So it's this huge thing. Brilliant. So this is like as the movie in the background is being put together. Yes. Plans to film it after the season using the rink and a lot of the yep. players in the rural role. So two of the Carlson brothers actually played two of the Hanson brothers that's based on, right? And a lot of pretty much everyone except for Paul Newman and a couple other actors on ice 
and even acting with them, you've got the are, the, are the real players that we're talking about. That's right? incredible. They can't believe that this team has won the championship. It's kind of this miracle yeah. turnaround. And they've discovered these three brothers that they go, well, this, we can hang a lot of the movie on this. The brothers, Steve and Jeff, do play themselves. They go, we negotiated for five seconds, but they realised that, you know, this is a job that was easy and they got paid a lot to do. Yes. Paul Newman was the big star. And so he had his own large house for filming, but then he also had a motel room closer to the filming if it was a late night or something. And all the other cast were staying at this motel. In his room, he had the best room, it had a one-person sauna, right? Right. And Newman apparently loved this sauna, right? So one day the Carlson brothers decide to fill it with popcorn, <laughs> like the whole sauna. <laughs> so they fill up the whole sauna right to the top and they wait for Newman to respond, right? Of course you do. So next day Newman says, hi, how you going? Doesn't, doesn't acknowledge. Doesn't acknowledge it at all. And they go, oh, is he not? Did he go to his house, not the motel room? Yeah, yeah. That's your hotel room. Yeah, and he, and Newman's just like very friendly. And they're like, did someone else clean it out before he got there? You know, yeah. like what? You know, next day, Nothing. Newman's just normal. Just and they're going, oh, okay. So then they have to film this scene uh, getting picked up by a bus at a roadside, and then they've got to get up the bus and arrive, and it's all being filmed. So them arriving at a game. Newman says to the whole team, let's strip down naked and run off naked as a joke. Like, you know, for run a movie, you run off the bus all naked. And it's like, you know, in the snow and everything. Yeah. And they're all a bit drunk. All the players are, yeah, let's do it. So they all go off and then they suddenly look back and they look back and <laughs> Newman's <laughs> just on the bus, and he shut, the, shut door. the door, and they're all locked outside nude. <laughs> and... There's a huge crowd that's built because Paul Newman's in town yes. to watch the filming. So suddenly you've got these like 20 ice hockey players all standing there buck naked in the freezing cold. Yes. And Paul Newman has the window open but the bus locked and goes, payback's a bitch, boys. <laughs> <laughs> that is well thought out. Served cold. So Served, he yeah. has let that ride. He gave them nothing. nothing. He oh, gave them nothing. It's a masterpiece. Also, Newman said that the local authorities weren't happy that there were all these naked people here and the producers had to talk the police out of arresting everyone for public indecency, which made Newman just laugh even more. So he's just on the bus watching the chaos he has created. He doesn't care. He's like a huge movie star. Let that be a lesson. Now, one of the great characters in the film, which you've seen and if you don't know, there's a big villain called Oggy Oglethorpe. Yep. He's the one with the big blonde afro in the movie and he's sort of presented in the movie as the as the villain, the guy that they have to beat to get past, right? Correct. Now, he's played by Ned Dowd, the guy whose sister, sister wrote, the movie, wrote the movie, right, in the movie. But he's based on a real-life player and that player's name was Bill Goldie Goldthorpe. He played for the Syracuse Blazers. Yes. Who the Jets were arch rivals with. He didn't play in the recent in the 75, 76 one. He'd gone to another club by then, but he played the year before. Yeah. He was this huge guy, toughest guy in hockey, almost ever, some would argue. A white guy, but a huge blonde afro <laughs> and huge sideburns. And the we'll put pictures on the Discord for the yeah. members. It is bonkers. Now he had history with the Jets. The year before the Carlson brothers arrived, he was playing in the semifinals against the Jets. He was playing for Syracuse. And with 19 seconds left in the second period, a fight broke out and Goldie and another blazer, a teammate of him, Bart Butow, wound up in the penalty box and the Jonestown fans are giving it to them. Yes. 
And Butel turns to God and says, you know what I hate more than the other players? The fans. And with that, he picked one out of the stands and pulled him over the glass and started beating him up, <laughs> which led the Johnstown people fans push the glass down. Of course you do. And so suddenly Goldie and Butel are fighting all the crowd all the in crowd, the penalty in box. In the penalty box. And they managed to fight their way out and back to the dressing room. <laughs> And they're barricaded in the dressing room with fans trying to get in and kill them. Yes. And they're having to wait for the police to come. And the police always came with dogs to control the hockey crowds all the time. So there's all (laughs) through this. They're going to turn up there. Yeah, so they always had to bring like angry German shepherds to get. So they're waiting. Tear gas. Yeah, they're waiting there and holding the door and in the locker room. And all of a sudden the coach looks around and says, where's Costas? Now he's referring to none other than Bob Costas, who, if He's you're this commentator, commentator and very famous legendary, legendary commentator yeah. in American sports. Now at the time, Costas was like you know, eighteen and was a senior at Syracuse University. Okay, and he was working as the Syracuse team's radio broadcaster. And when the brawl had broken out, he was up in the press box. He was trying to calm it down by saying, the players will be back on the ice any time now, stalling, making the crowd yes. think they were going to come out when really he knew they weren't. And so Costas finally joins the team on the bus, but by that time they're surrounded. Yes. Basically a brick crashes through <laughs> one of the windows of the bus and they had to get out of town with this police escort. Yeah. This was such a huge thing that the Johnstown's players vote not to go to Syracuse and, and forfeit that series. Really? Because they knew it was going to be on with their crowd okay. after what they did. But Costas tells some great Goldie stories, right? Because Costas goes on to be yeah. called Super Bowls and everything, Absolutely. right? But he said on one trip he said Goldie saw Costas reading the newspaper on the bus and ripped it up in front of him. <laughs> Just grabbed it what? and ripped it up because it, it was offended by the fact. And Costas, we don't want readers around here. Yeah, yeah. And Costas responded, "Don't be jealous, Goldie. I'll teach you how to read." <laughs> he said, "Only Goldthorpe's teammates stopped him from killing me." He said, "Once Goldthorpe was called up for the Minnesota Fighting Saints, he got an extra two minutes in a fight." The coach said, "Why has he got an extra two minute penalty than the normal penalty?" Yes. And the ref said, well, Goldthorpe left the penalty box in the first place to enter to the, start fight the fight and didn't even bring his gloves or his stick. <laughs> so that's what he was Insanity. like. Now, Goldie was, he was, he's one of the great coaches. He was born in northern Ontario in a railway town. His father was an engineer on the railroads. His mother, Pearl, was a nurse. And when his parents got married, their best man was like a Leo Boven who was an NHL tough guy for the Bruins, won two Stanley Cups, one yep. of the toughest men. So he's born into this tough town yes. and sort of his dad's best man and best mate is an enforcer for the Bruins. This is the environment he grows up in. Yeah. Goldie's kicked out of elementary school in his hometown of Horny Payne, Ontario, for trying to throw another boy out a second floor window. <laughs> <laughs> the window wouldn't open wide enough and the principal came into the room and intervened. Now, it was snowing, so he would have been thrown into a snowbank. So there's but, let's look at but the, still, the good news. Schools frown on you throwing other students out windows, right? By the time Goldie hit grade nine, he had to be moved to Thunder Bay because he was not allowed to register for a high school in his hometown because of his track record of fighting, right? Sure. So he moves in with his aunt, Eva Gannon, in the house and she had a statue of the Virgin Mary in the attic window to keep evil out of the house. Yes. And she would say to him, I can see it in your eyes, you're bad. <laughs> 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 He's like a kid, right? 
He was arrested 20 times before his 18th birthday. Oh, Lord. And he was probably going to have, you know, that would be his life only. He was destined to end up in yeah, jail. Jail. But once at a midget tournament, midget's junior ice hockey, he came to the aid of a man who was wrestling with a referee who had, the referee had hit a spectator. And so this man had intervened on to pull the ref off the spectator, right? What a sport. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, that man was Albert Carver, and he was a legendary Thunder Bay coach, and he was very appreciative of Goldie saving him. Now, Gold, Goldie's like 17 at the yeah. time, right? And so he said, why don't you come play with the Port Arthur Mars, which is his, one of the feeder clubs. Goldie comes and becomes the enforcer for them. This is like you were saying at the start about yeah. young kids fighting, right? He's yeah. still young, like 17. In one particular game, a fan slugged one of the players and Goldthorpe flew into the stands to hit the fan that had hit the other yeah. player. And in a scuffle, a security officer's leg gets broken, right? Yes. So a month later, Goldie shows up at the same arena and the security guard recognises him and Goldie thinks, oh, this is the guy whose leg I kind of had a hand in breaking yeah. and the security guard storms up to him and he thinks, oh, it's going to, I'm going to have to fight the security guard. Yeah. And the guy goes, hey, thanks, man. I'm getting compo. I've never had it so good. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the best I times. Can't I can't thank you enough for breaking my legs. Uh, before his sophomore student before, and he's playing juniors for Thunder Bay, he got into a fight with five guys back in his hometown. Yep. He says they were druggies and they were making fun of me. And he said, I smoked them all. So he's charged with five counts of assault and sentenced to 15 days for each, so 75 days. And it's in a town 5,000 miles away from Thunder Bay, right, because yes. he's gone home for this. It's looking trouble. He's already serving a suspension for hitting a linesman during a fight the previous season. <laughs> so a friend's father manages to pull some strings and gets him transferred to the Thunder Bay Correctional Facility where he's allowed to be signed out for practices and games. Oh, this is good. Lost his young Griffo. Yeah. So they signed him out. He plays the game. Then they put him back put in him jail. Back in. Right? Goldie, by the end of his life, would have been arrested more than 50 times and he said he was jailed at least 30 times. Very since usually fighting in bars. He said, every place I played I got put in jail except for Minnesota. He said, I got in a fight in every game there but I just didn't get in any bar fights for some reason, right? Now, during his rookie season for Syracuse and they win the league championships, he had 25 fighting majors in the first 29 games and had 285 penalty minutes in the season <laughs> and still had 20 goals and 26 assists, which is amazing because he was barely on the ice, yeah. right? In one incident, he got in a fight with a guy called Bob O'Reilly. They were both sent to the penalty box. An official was trying to keep Goldthorpe out of trouble. O'Reilly had gone into the penalty box. Goldie managed to break free and attack Bill O'Reilly in the penalty box and O'Reilly tried to use a chair to keep him at bay. <laughs> Now, to give you an idea, Goldie played for Thunder Bay as a junior and there was a team called the Charlotte Islanders and said they were older than we were and they beat us up good. So I said to them, with my last breath, when I become a pro hockey player, I will get every one of you guys. <laughs> Mark <laughs> From my words. Yeah. I make this pledge. So he literally draws up a list I of all it. of these players and he said later, Kevin Devine, Gareth McGregor, Al McAdam, I fought him and I said, you tell those other guys I'm coming I'm for coming. them. <laughs> and when I was done, I always said, that's for the boys in Thunder Bay, the land of the tough guys. <laughs> he fought every single one of them over what his career. Yeah, like holding a they grudge. They are made a very powerful enemy. Yeah. 
He once skated, jumped out of the penalty box, skated after a linesman he was angry with, and another referee grabbed him by the arm, so he bit the linesman on the leg. (laughs) Another time he got arrested on the ice for a fight, the police came in and marched him and four other teammates into the paddy wagon in their full ice hockey gear. They even had their skates still on. I love it. So he was constantly doing all this sort of stuff, um, and he was always getting arrested. In 1980, he was playing for the Spokane Flyers, he has a bottle of Gatorade and he's been put into the penalty box and there's an announcer who announces the penalty and so he's saying, you know, gold for two minutes, yeah. you know, for fighting. One of the opponents is yelling at Goldie going, you idiot, now you know. And so Goldie gets a Gatorade bottle, it's full, and tries to throw it at his opponent but it slips out of his hand and knocks out the announcer who's mid-announcing his penalty. <laughs> <laughs> You cannot write this. You can't. So he's suspended. So the next day he attends the game in street clothes, right, because he can't play. And he's in the stands and he's wearing a suit and a brawl breaks out. And he thinks, well, I can't watch my fans fight without me. So he goes down and gets onto the ice. The security guards are so scared of him they don't stop him. Yeah. And he opens the door and goes out on the ice and starts fighting. But he's got no skates on. He's got shoes, so he's slipping everywhere. He's still – and he fights for ages. One of the people he fights is Ron Orr, who's the brother of Hall of Famer Bobby Orr, and he also fights the general manager of the other team. Now, he got kicked off the Spokane Flyers for assaulting the owner who was upset with him for kneeing an opponent and getting suspended, right? So yeah. I can't keep off. up. It's hard. In 1980, he's shot in the stomach while trying to rescue an ex-girlfriend. His ex-girlfriend had a drug dealer. And he now, was is that abusing two minutes her. Of the I don't know. <laughs> shooting someone. He's an ex-girlfriend at the time, but he was sort of still seeing her a yeah. little bit. And she is a drug dealer. And Goldie shows up at her house, and the drug dealer's abusing her. Yeah. And he steps in, and Goldie pushes him down to the ground and tries to take the girl out the door. And the guy stands up and pulls out a gun and shoots him in the stomach. Gotcha. So Goldie's been shot in the stomach, and it hurt him really badly. They said he, if he hadn't been as strong as he was, he wouldn't have made it. Yep. So he is nursed back to health and Goldie says that was a real wake-up moment for me. And someone said to him, you mean like you stopped fighting after that? And he goes, no, I just didn't ever talk to that girl again. <laughs> Lesson learned. He decides to straight up a bit. He goes to community college to study computer program while he's recovering and he sees a woman being dragged out of a van by this man. So he comes over and grabs the man and the man and him fight and the man – pulls out a knife and slices Goldie so bad that he almost dies from loss of blood. But Goldie fights him off. And the cops said he was on angel dust, so they said he was lucky to live. He needed 300 stitches. And if the buddy hadn't put a tourniquet around his uh, arm, he would have bled to death. Okay. So he takes four years off and he comes back in 83, 84 with the Moncton Alpines. He has this uh, first ever match and it makes him an instant legend there because – before the game, they were playing the Nova Scotia Voyagers. And the previous game, which Goldie hadn't been at the team then, they had beat the living daylights out of right. them. So they, the other his teammates were all like, they belted the living daylights out of us last year. Yeah. So this, is, this could be worrying. They're very physical. And Goldie's like, right. So the national anthem is playing. And Goldie says, open the gate for me. Like, because there's a gate to go under the ice. <laughs> and the player goes, well, the national anthem's playing. Yeah. He goes, don't worry. So he skates up to the opposition bench while the national anthem playing and starts talking to them all. His teammates are going, what's he saying to them? Like, you know, 
basically the game gets played and the other side don't throw one punch or anything because he's gone up and just threatened them <laughs> and You're said, dead. I will kill anyone of you. <laughs> so just his fear, reputation wow. is so fearsome that just his going up and saying this means that, you know, this is what... He got suspended after breaking a stick on a player a bit afterwards and this was his final ever act on the ice. He said by this point he'd got tired of fighting. He'd played for 10 minor league teams. He'd racked up 1,132 penalty minutes in 194 (laughs) games. Um, He'd been banned from six pro leagues and three senior leagues. He goes on and he doesn't get to play himself in the movie because Paul Newman's brother came to watch him play and after the game Goldie chucked a bottle of coke at a teammate it hit the wall and shattered because it was a glass bottle and Newman's brother had just happened to walk in and all the glass and cola fell on him and he went this guy's too loose too much. and this was a sticking point <laughs> forever right so after the film the film comes out and the brothers all get promoted they the Carlson brothers all yeah. get promoted to a much bigger thing they have few more fights before they do it. They have one fight where the Jets are playing, uh, they have a black player on their roster and they're playing the Buffalo Norseman. Yep. And the Buffalo Norseman fan holds up a sign saying black should only play basketball. So okay. the, so they're, the Jets are instantly, ang- they're, they're instantly like we hate on. these guys. So the next game they wait, it's in Johnstown. During the warm-ups, Johnstown's Vern Camiato, he skates past Buffalo's Greg Neald and he'd lost his left eye earlier in his career. Campagno says, hey, you one-eyed bastard, let's fight. <laughs> so the fight starts before the game yeah, has yes. even commenced and there's no officials on the ice yet. So the brawl just goes forever because no one's there to stop it. Right. Eventually the Buffalo Norsemen re- head into the changing room, right. refuse to come back out. So the league awards the win to Johnstown. Rewarding because, their violence. Yeah, because they said, well, it was before the match. It doesn't count. You didn't show up for the match. So it was always like eventually the Carlson brothers go on and get promoted to a higher league and they go on. Steve Carlson plays for a whole bunch of teams, the North England Whalers, the Edmonton Oilers, Minnesota Fighting Saints. He plays the Los Angeles Kings. Jack Carlson goes on plays for a bunch of similar teams. He's racks up 1,111 penalty minutes in his lifetime. That's Hall of Famer stuff. Yeah. Jeff Carlson plays for the Minnesota Fighting Things. He's the same. The Hanson brothers receive more than 300 requests a year now to make appearances. That's how popular they are. The Hanson brothers as in the the actual. So they they still make a lot of money. Slapshot itself was a flop at the box office. It was, was it? It was too weird. It's an unusual film. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. You got to get your head around it but a lot of these paul newman films that you described yeah. from that that director were odd odd and it's become now a classic it's, it's a seen, classic it's, it's now it's, seen as one of the great sports movies it was like those movies that come out and at first people are like uh ah, yeah then it takes off now goldie he was always bitter because he wasn't he, allowed, he wasn't allowed to play himself and the character is so clearly him right yeah. looks exactly like him all these uh, he didn't watch it for a dozen years, but in 1989 he finally saw it and he said, I never laughed so hard. And healing began because they started inviting him to promotional events because the Slapshot has lots of promotional like ongoing yes. reunions and stuff. They started inviting him. Nancy Dowd finally met him and she was nervous. She said, when I first came to Johnstown, she said this in a speech, 
and he was there. When I first came to Johnstown, maybe even before, I'd heard rumours of someone very intimidating. I never saw him, never saw a picture of him, but in my writer's imagination, he took shape and became real. I created Oggy the Goon from this man's reputation. The man who invaded my imagination long ago was Bill Goldthorpe. And she said later after she gave that speech, he, she said she was nervous, but he was just incredibly nice and just a real gentleman. And when I read the tribute, he had tears in his eyes. Here's this guy who was the biggest goon alive and he was so kind. It was a wonderful moment. Fantastic. So that's the story of Slapshot. I, I love it. I love the film. But one of the great conceits in the film is how the, the Hanson brothers sit there for a while. They don't get a game, which is different from what yeah, you're yeah, saying. Yeah. They played straight off. But just that waiting game of them, you go, what are these guys, what effect are they going to have on this movie? And yeah. Boy. It just shifts up. the whole movie, doesn't it? It's when they... incredible. Um, that's a great story. Again, we apologise for laughing at the violence, but. It is what it's all about. Oh yeah, in you're this sport, it's, you've it's, got to acknowledge it's bonkers. The whole story is bonkers. It's like it's like boxing. It's embedded <laughs> into the fabric of the sport. Well, that's a beauty. You know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go and watch Slapshot again, <laughs> and I'll bet you most of our listeners are going to go and do that. Oh, if yeah. they haven't seen it, will if they have, you get that out again because it was a. Absolute ripper. All right. Well done, Titus O'Reilly. If you're interested in more of Mick and I talking complete and utter nonsense, we have the Bizarre Plus members program. If you love Sports Bizarre, this gives you an extra weekly bonus podcast on top of the one you get anyway. You get access to all those previous bonus podcasts as well. You get a newsletter every fortnight. You get access to the chat room. You get the ability to vote on future episodes as well. And importantly, you get early access to any live shows we're doing. You get that before everyone else. If you're interested, the link is in the show notes.